Imagine, if you will, your childhood home, the only one you remember. Your parents worked hard to buy it, to offer you shelter and security. It's the home where there are marks on the door frames in one of the rooms that measures the growth of the generation. And each room is filled with memories. It's where you played up. Played up? Yeah, well, that was my home. Uh, Where you played up, where you played and where you grew. And from there, you went off to your first day of school. They are your memories and filled with not only your memories, but also stories that have been passed on to you from generations that went before you. It's the home you love. It's the only home you've known. For me, the youngest in my family, these are some of my memories. My family with my older brother and sister, my mum pretending to rouse on me in the top right-hand corner there, playing in the pool, huge pool for the three of us, Um, and my first um, bike to take to high school as I was heading off to high school. These are some of my memories. Can you imagine yours? But imagine now, due to some bad decisions, this home is now in the hands of an international bank who cared little for your memories. What they cared about is setting an example to others who find themselves in a similar position. And rather than selling it, they take a sledgehammer to it, a wrecking ball, as it were. And in an unforgettable message, walls soon lay flat on the ground with bricks smashed and timbers splintered. And for the next 70 years, you and your family will spend the foreseeable future, the next 70 years, in state housing and camps with successive calendars filled with X's on each day as you count down the days until you get to return to your homeland once again. All the while that you're away from home, there's a beautiful prophetic poem that continues to echo and play in your mind. It's a poem that you were taught as a child. It's a prophecy that you hung on to. A poem that when all has been stripped away, well, those things will be returned to you again. It's an ancient poem of prophecy that went like this. Isaiah 61, 1 to 4. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be set free. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favour has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, I will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them 
though they have been deserted for many generations. But not long after returning home, the wheels seem to fall off the hope wagon. Your knight in shining armour still is nowhere to be seen and you are subjected to a landlord and a foreign bank once again. The next generation comes and then the one after that. And after a hundred years since returning back home, there is still no sign of freedom, no breaking of the shackles that bring subjection to you, to your landlord. I'd invite you, if you've got your Bibles with you, to turn to Malachi chapter 2 verse 17. Malachi chapter 2 verse 17. Well, that image that we've talked about this morning gives you a glimpse of what the people of Israel must have felt like, just a little glimpse. As Matt said last week, the return from 70 years of exile and now a century, um, a century later, the Messiah, their Saviour, is still nowhere to be found. And those who were once faithful, those who were called to be role models to the people, were starting to, to live lives that were inconsistent. Those that were meant to be passionate followers of God, who would point out about how to live lives after God, started to raise questions. And it's those questions that we now turn to. They were tired of waiting. Those in power were taking advantage of the system and others, while their countrymen look on and in times join in the cry. A cry of contempt, declaring to God, what's the point? Let's pick up this cry in Malachi chapter 2, verse 17, and it gives us the context for Malachi chapter 3 that we're going to look at today. Malachi prophesies, you have wearied the Lord with your words. The people respond, how have we wearied him, you ask. You have wearied him by saying that all who do evil are good in the Lord's sight and he is pleased with them. You have wearied him by asking, where is the God of justice? You see, after a hundred years, nothing much had changed. And their fellow Israelites, as we discovered, were starting to misbehave. And now the people were questioning, where is God's justice in all of this? God doesn't care about justice. People are hurting others and they're getting away with it. The promises of God have come to nothing. Where is God's justice on those who do wrong, on those who oppress us? The words of petition and longing were, were encouraged by God. As we read in Isaiah 62, verse 6 and 7, O Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen on your walls. They will pray day and night continually. Take no rest, all you who pray to the Lord. Give to the Lord no rest until he completes his work, until he makes Jerusalem the pride of the earth. But rather than being words of petition, these words were actually from perpetrators of injustice who just wanted to complain. Where's the God of justice you promised to be? And these complaints had been going on for so long now that they were wearing God down wearing God's patience until God finally had had enough. 
And now in Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, God responds to those who criticize his delay in bringing justice with language similar to what we see in Daniel and Revelation. Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord, uh, then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you look for so eagerly, is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal, or like strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Then once more, the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem, as he did in the past. God responds to his people, challenging their assumptions. Just because it's not happening in the time frame, just because it's not happening now, and how and when and why we we expect it to happen, doesn't mean that God's justice, my justice, isn't coming. I'm sending my messenger. Now, there's three messengers that we discover in Malachi. The first messenger is actually Malachi himself, because to, to have the name Malachi means to be a messenger. The second messenger is the prophetic messenger referred to in chapter 3, verse 1. The one who would prepare the way for the third messenger of the covenant. Our shops today are declaring, get ready, Christmas is coming in 51 days' time. In ancient times, when the king was coming to visit, he would send a messenger ahead of him to prepare for his arrival. The messenger's role was to announce the king's pending arrival and to make preparations and to remove obstacles that might get in the way of his coming. As Christians, we believe that the second messenger that Malachi refers to here um, is John the Baptizer. In Matthew, just a few pages after um, Malachi, but some 460 years later, we read Jesus declare in Matthew chapter 11, verses 9 to 10, referring back to Isaiah 40, were you looking for a prophet? Yes, he is more than a prophet. John is the man whom the Scriptures refer when they say, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way before you. Now, the third messenger, referred to in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, the messenger of the covenant, we believe is the prophet Jesus, who we read about in Luke chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. Then he, being Jesus, said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Meaning, do the miracles here in your hometown like you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Jesus, the Messiah and prophet, was indeed coming to establish a new covenant with those who believed in him. But there is a second element to the coming of the Messiah. 
and it is indeed one of justice and of judgment. Like a silversmith of old who would sit crouched over, intimately involved in the refining and purifying of silver in the furnace, burning away the impurities to release the full potential of the precious metal. It is said that the the refiner would sit over the metal, taking away the dross, taking away the impurities, and he would know he was there when he could see his own reflection in the surface of the metal. So, too, the Messiah will be at work in his people, with the desire not to hurt, not to injure, but rather refine and test and prove them, them his people, and help them to become all that they are destined to be, before he comes, comes to judge all peoples on the earth. For Malachi's audience, the last people they saw as recipients of God's refining judgment was themselves. It was obvious to them that God's judgment would come to uh, others, not to them. Judgment would come to those others out there that they see, not the reflections that they would see in the mirror. But God's message is clear. God's refining starts with those that are closest to God, those that are closest to Him and it radiates out from there. The first in His sights are the Levites, those set apart to serve God and assist in the temple and to help in the worship of the Lord of Heaven's armies. However, it's not going to be some angry and indiscriminate rampage, but like a silversmith huddled over the silver, watchfully refining. So God is intimately involved in the refining of his people for his purpose, to help them to be their best, to help them give God their best and to call out to others to give God their best as well, calling them to be faithful. The focus of refining judgment continues to ripple out. The call to give God your best and to be faithful is then built upon in the call to be just. So let's pick up again in Malachi chapter 3, verse 5. At that time, I will put you on trial. I am eager to witness against all sorcerers and adulterers and liars. I will speak against those who cheat employees of their wages, who oppress widows and orphans, who deprive the foreigners living among you of justice. For these people do not fear me, says the Lord of heaven's armies. On the one hand, Malachi's challenge was for those who abused and oppressed, yet cried out to God because they believed that God had delayed in um, offering them justice for themselves. Those Matt referred to last week who failed to be faithful, yet they pretended to be living in a right relationship with God, yet lived lives that brought hurt and injustice to others around them. They pointed the finger as evidence, saying God's justice does not exist and trying to get the attention off themselves. Well, it pays to remember when you point the finger at others, you've got three fingers pointing back at you. On those who are unjust in their covenant relationship with God, turning to sorcery, turning to idolatry, being unfaithful to their partners, committing adultery, people who live and tell lies. Yet for those who dare to hope, 
those who long for justice in their lives, that it might finally come their way, those who have their silent cries and heartfelt prayers for justice, just a sniff of justice to come their way, for the wives who have been tossed aside for newer, richer models and who are then left to fend for themselves without the support of social security, for employees who had faithfully served their employers only to find themselves underpaid or not paid at all as their boss exploits their trust and service, for widows who should be supported yet are left to fend for themselves in a dog-eat-dog world, for orphan children who were dismissed as a burden and a threat to the security of any potentially adoptive family, for foreigners who flee to Israel in the hope of a protective and supportive arm to be wrapped around them, which would give them security and a new home. These people are under the watchful eye of their heavenly creator, the Lord of heaven's armies, who is incensed by their treatment by those who have the power and the means to give honour, dignity, protection, love and support. Justice that should have been a priority for those in power and an opportunity to show God's love was withheld. So those in whom this responsibility was entrusted would now experience God as the just judge who sees all and will testify to what all-knowing God has witnessed. For those who long for justice, who have been denied justice, then the promise is reinforced. You will have your day in court. They may not fear you, God says to them, but they will fear me because I am standing up for you. The Lord of heaven's armies will testify against bosses who exploit their staff. Testify against those who oppress widows and orphans, those who are vulnerable. Testify against those who deny justice to foreigners who come to the nation of Israel to come under their protective covering. Just because you are under foreign rule does not mean you can treat foreigners unjustly. The Lord of heaven's armies will testify against those who treat God with contempt in these ways. You know, for us today, the call of Malachi is still our call, the call to be just, as Matt talked about earlier. We who long for God's justice against those who mistreat us, we need to be the ones who are examples of and take a stand for justice for others. In our own lives, God calls us to treat our covenant relationship with Yahweh God justly, reverently, faithfully. Because as Matt said last week, what we do matters. We need to treat our relationships justly, to treat our spouse well and protect the fidelity of that relationship. We need to not lie and treat others unjustly. Rather, we need to advocate and work for justice for the vulnerable people around us, those who are widows and orphans, foreigners and asylum seekers. Caring about the vulnerable around us should affect what we say, what we do, and even how we vote. God calls us to be just in our relationships. In what we do, 
and in what we don't do. God is a God of justice and although his justice might seem distant when when we look at it through the eyes of someone wanting to right our wrongs right now, when we want to see a quick fix, but also how are we going to stand in the gap as God's representatives for those who perpetrate wrong or when we see wrong done to others. The prophet Malachi says that God is in the corner of those who advocate for justice for those who are doing it tough. We see fragments, glimpses of God's heart in those who are a voice like Malachi for justice, in the Hetty Johnsons of the world who campaign for better child protection, in the Rosie Baddies of the world who advocate for an awareness about domestic violence, for the Eddie Marbos who stand for recognition of the rights of the marginalised, for the Tim Costellos who campaign against child poverty and injustices in places like Nauru. They're prophetic voices to governments like ours that we can and should do better. If you've ever needed, if you've ever longed for justice, then you know what it's like to cry out to God to send someone to receive, help you receive justice. Do you need to see justice realised in your life? For God to right wrongs that have been done to you? Then take the initiative and model to others what you long for in your own life and be just to others, with your family, with your friends, your neighbours and people around you who you see have no voice. If there have been times that you or I have been denied justice to others, if there's been times that we've denied justice to others, in the things that we have done or not done, then God wants to do some refining in our lives. Not to hurt, but to bring out the best in each one of us. How much better to offer yourself to be refined by Jesus than to come under his judgment resisting, dragging and, and, and working against God, wanting to do something special in your life. Be just and willingly submit to God's loving justice. God's call for us today is to be a just. How will you respond? We've got an opportunity to do that right now. And there's some questions on the screen that you can see behind me. And they help us to hopefully explore this a little bit more. Are there areas in which I long for God's justice to be realised in my life? Well, pray about that. Write a prayer of response to that. Are there areas in which God is calling me to represent his justice for others? Well, offer yourself. Offer a prayer of of commitment to yourself, uh, to God in that. Are there areas in which we've denied justice for others? then maybe this is an opportunity where we can confess that to God who loves us and wants to offer us his forgiveness. We're going to have an opportunity to respond and in a moment or two we're going to have some music played and let's take that time to respond and to do some business with God and those cards will once again be collected in the final song. God bless you.